Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. We continue in this series about kings. We haven't quite entered into the book of First and Second Kings, but in First and Second Samuel, you're introduced to kings. And we've gotten to know Saul, we've gotten to know David, who has an anointing upon his life to be the future king. And Scott Larson walked us through that battle between David and Goliath. And David is this man after God's own heart. And you see this character of David, a man of humility. But then you see Saul, this man that is jealous. And in chapter 18, you see Saul's jealous just getting the best of him, his jealousy getting the best of him. And he begins to plot ways to kill him. And he's like, oh, one idea. I'll give him my daughters. And the dowry will be he's going to have to kill some Philistine men. And if he's going to go in and do that, maybe he'll lose his life in the process. But David's victorious. And he then takes Michael to be his wife. Now, Saul promises Jonathan that he's not going to kill David. Jonathan being Saul's Son, and while David is in the court serving the king and playing the harp when the tormenting spirit would come upon Saul, Saul has had it with David, the rage is there, and he takes the spear and tries to kill David. Okay, and this isn't the first time that's taken place, and so there's now a, a pattern that's going to take place where David is running from Saul, running for his life, really. And so as David leaves, Saul sends troops to David's home. And their plan is, we're going to kill this man the next morning. And Michael, his wife, knowing all of this, sneaks him out of the, the house through the window. And the next morning, he's not there. Saul feels betrayed by his daughter, Michael. She says, well, he, he deceived me. He, he must have lied to me. And, and Saul is just enraged and continues to chase after David. And you see, chapter after chapter, David is fleeing from Saul. And when you get to chapter 23, you see a point here where David is on opposite sides of a mountain from Saul. And Brian, you brought this out about this rock of escape. And where there's just all this turmoil, tension, this cat and mouse game, if you will, in this pursuit. And David flees to En Gedi. And after a Philistine battle, Saul returns to his pursuit. And we see that we come to this place now in 1 Samuel 24, where they're in a cave in Gedi, and David's going to have an opportunity where he can actually take Saul's life. Change the story a little bit, but all this cat and mouse and this pursuit and, and Saul going after David, and, and just this, it just reminds me of a cartoon that I remember when I was a kid, Roadrunner and Coyote. Okay? There's really nothing that's being said in this cartoon other than you can just tell Coyote has it out for Roadrunner and beep beep you know and off he goes and there's always some sort of splat and puff of cloud and Coyote always gets injured or hurt. Here he's riding an Acme rocket and you think that probably is not going to end well for Coyote but it seems like Saul is just continuing to pursue continuing to pursue but he just can't get him. And this chase continues, and it just continues to enrage Saul through all of it. And so here we are in 1 Samuel 24. We're going to read this chapter, and before we read from God's Word, He speaks to us through His inerrant, infallible, inspired Word. 
we're going to pray and ask the Lord to just settle our hearts to receive. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time that we're spending right now around your word. And Lord, the things that you've put upon my heart to share today, I pray that uh, they would flow freely from my heart, from my lips. And Lord, that you would use this message to help. Help me to speak your heartbeat here today, Lord. I'm asking for your grace now as we settle in on your word. Quiet this place in the spiritual realm. And the things that you want to say, we give you permission to speak into our lives. May we respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 1. It says, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel, and he went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Now, David and his men is about 600. And at one point, we even find out it's all these guys that are kind of like outcasts. They, they were running or they had nowhere else to go, so they're all hiding together, 600 men. And here's Saul. He is just upset. He's mad. I'm going to send in five times the men, and these are my elite guys. I'm here to take some names, and David is that one specifically that I want to walk out with. Okay, verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now, I just want to be clear. It's not like he sat and he just wanted some lemonade. He was going to the bathroom. Okay? Imagine that being recorded about you in the scriptures. All right? But he went in to relieve himself, and David's there hiding with his men farther back in the cave. Verse 4, here's what the men say. Hey, David, now's your opportunity. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power. Do with as you wish. So David crept forward, and he cut a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I just want to make a point here. Saul's character is incredibly flawed. He is not anointed in the sense that his character and his conduct is amazing and godly. The reason why he's anointed is he holds an office that is anointed by God, and David wants to respect that office. Okay, So when David says he's anointed, that does not mean that Saul is a good guy. It means he holds a position that the Lord's hand is upon. Okay, now we continue here in verse 7. David restrained his men, did not let them kill Saul. And after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him. He says, My Lord, the king. And Saul looked around, and David bowed low before him. And then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say that I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I 
spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. And look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. And I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyways? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. Now when David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? And then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. And who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness that you've shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went back home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. A lot going on there. If you kind of put yourself in that cave and watch this scene go down, you see this mercy that was given by David to Saul, and you see Saul's response to this. The title of this message is, He Had It Coming. And I want to look at this through a few different perspectives. The first perspective is from King Saul. Now, in King Saul's mind, he feels that David has this coming. I'm Israel's king, not David. And this young boy has it coming. People are cheering for this young man because he took down a giant. Big whoop. I'm the king. But he also knows that David's going to be the next king. And I want you to consider something when it comes to this hierarchy and, and the king is that as he is king, if somebody says that they've been anointed and they find out you're going to be the next king, there's a threatening aspect to that. David is going to be the next king. He feels that threat and he feels that David wants him dead several times. He's like, David's out to get me. You think how twisted that is. You go, now wait a second, Saul, who's chasing who here? Okay, but he's worked all this up in his mind. He's got it out for David. David has it coming. He's going to be the next king. I've got to take him out. He's prideful, and he gets angrier and angrier. And in that place of anger, he thinks David has it coming. I'm going to chase him in to a cave 
And I'm going to bring 3,000 of my elite troops to take this man out finally. Now let's shift perspectives here. That's King Saul. Now we have the perspective of King David. Okay, future King David. He knew that he was eventually going to be king. And really, in a sense, David had that coming to him. And so, knowing that, David is operating in humility. He's respecting the office until his time comes. And so you see this heart of humility. He's humble even though he knows he's going to be king. And as I was thinking about this, I go all the way back to Joseph. And you remember when he had those dreams about how he was going to be elevated and all his brothers were going to bow down to him? He has that dream, and what does Joseph do? I'm going to tell him about that dream. Hey, brothers, guess what? I had this dream. You're all going to bow down to me. I don't know what all that means, but, you know, I'm just telling you, someday I'm going to rule over you. There was a little bit of a cockiness there from Joseph, and he handled that wrong. Now, this wasn't a dream. David didn't have a dream. Someday you're going to be king. The prophet Samuel came to him and anointed him. You are going to be the next king. This prophet that anointed Saul. David has that assurance. He operates out of that. I'm going to respect the office. I'm going to live in humility. And in the Lord's timing, he will elevate me. And there's a contrast between these two different people, Saul and David. Saul's self-conscious, but David has got a confidence in God. It's not about me, it's about the Lord. Saul was somebody who presumed on the priestly office. And David didn't presume any right on the priestly office. Saul disobeyed God in the little things. David obeyed God in the little things. Saul lost integrity by trying to cover up his sin. David maintained integrity by respecting Saul. Saul failed to submit to God-given authority. David consistently submitted to authority. Saul was preoccupied with his own fame, and David desired to increase God's fame and reputation. You see this contrast. The reason for that is because there are two hearts here that are completely different. One is hard and prideful. The other one is soft and it's humble. And this is demonstrated even as they respond to situations with repentance. And I'll use that loosely. Okay, when David went to cut the hem of the robe off of Saul, in verse 5, it says that this heart-struck feeling came over him. His conscience got the best of him. And that word, actually, if you look at that, his heart was struck. And he knew this isn't probably something I need to be doing. Okay? A soft heart, and it's struck. Then you see Saul, in his moment of repentance, when David spares his life, and then they have this moment, it's like, hey, Saul, I have this hem of your robe, and, and Saul begins to cry and weep. And when I look that word up in the Hebrew, for this particular moment, it's not a weeping of repentance. It's a weeping of grief and humiliation. Can't believe that happened. 
And it's used elsewhere, in fact, where it would be in a repentant manner, but it's not in this case. And we know that because what does Saul end up doing right after this? He goes back to trying to kill David again. But David continues to respect Saul and the office that comes with him. It all really comes down to one heart that's filled with pride and the other heart that's filled with submission to God. Now, personal application. I think we can just ask ourselves this question. Lord, is there any area of my life where there's a pride issue? Remember the song we were singing, Let Every High Thing Come Down? Let that be our prayer. Lord, if we're elevating ourselves in any way, bring us down. Humble us. Give us a responsive heart that desires to be in submission to you. I want to note about three things here that are going on in this passage that I think are important when we go through situations where there's an enemy. Okay, it's very clear David had an enemy. Saul and Saul's troops. And they're pursuing him. They're going after him. And you see, one of the very first things here is the counsel that's given to David initially when he has this moment to take the king's life. His friends jump in and they say, now's the opportunity. Kill him. And they don't just stop there. They say this, today the Lord is telling you to kill him. These friends have it wrong. God's word points out that it's wrong to lay hands on the king or even curse the king for that matter. And godly counsel will tell you what you need to hear, not what seems right or what you want to hear. And these friends are misleading David. And they're not respecting the Lord's anointed one. And David points that out in verse 6. We need to be careful with the counsel that comes into our life. Do we have counsel that tells us what we want to hear or counsel that tells us what we need to hear? And another thing, too, when it comes to counsel is be careful when people say, um, well, um, follow your heart. Or what is your heart saying? Because I'm telling you right now, there are many times that my heart is in contradiction to the word of God and the counsel that he wants into my life. You need friends that are going to be able to tell you how it is. Not try to cushion things and lead you into something that actually is not what God wants. So you see this council taking place and you see him choosing to do something different even than what his friends say. Even in two chapters later, talking about how significant it is to lay a hand on the king... In 1 Samuel 26, David could actually, he has an opportunity to thrust a spear through Saul's head when he's sleeping. He gets another opportunity to kill him. And even the priest that's with him, Abisha, he thinks it's an opportunity to kill Saul. So even the priest had it wrong. But David tells him in verse 9 of chapter 26, he says, Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed one and be guiltless. David knew what the right thing was to do. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, he says, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come, 
and he will die or he'll go into battle and he'll perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. But he says, get that spear and the water jug and let's get out of here. Let's not take his life. Let's get out of here. Another note. When there's situations with an enemy and conflict, revenge. Okay? How long had Saul been chasing David and trying to take his life? Several times, in fact. And here he has his opportunity, and it's like all this turmoil, the hiding in caves, and all of that, it's because of that man right there who's relieving himself, and I could just end it right now. I could take matters into my own hands. Our memory verse this week, the Bible says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs. Say that with me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs. My hand's not going to touch you. And he says, as the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure that I'm never going to harm you. The Bible tells us, this is straight from Jesus' mouth, he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. There's a, a response of love, and in Romans 12, 9 through 21, I just want to read this to you. Love must be sincere. We're to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Now, think of David's situation. And his circumstance. When I opened up the service today, I read to you a psalm that David would have penned in a cave. Talking about God's love and God's faithfulness. And wanting to see God glorified, even though my circumstances are a bit dire. David had to have a joy and a hope and patience. And also being one that's faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hospitality. I don't know what hospitality is, but I'm sure it's good. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. Here's the part here where it really comes into play. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So back to our memory verse. It says, may the Lord avenge the wrongs. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now that sounds like something that would be like, no, wait a second, that's not very loving. 
But the point of that statement, it was actually a figurative statement, that when you pour these coals upon their head, it's that they would come to a point where they realize that their wrongdoing, and they see how you're responding to their wrongdoing, they'll come to a point of conviction. Because you are actually fighting evil with good. Verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as David says, there's an old proverb, from evil people come evil deeds. If we are in Christ, our response to evil should be a response of good and compassion and love. And we do not take revenge into our own hands, but we let God take care of that. Years ago, I remember being in a church that did the sharing joys and concerns. Right? They'd have a microphone passed around. People could share. And um, I've been in some churches where that's kind of funny because I remember one church, somebody stood up and said, I just want to say my grandchild made varsity. And then you're like, we're going to pray about that? Like, that just seems a little funky. But I remember at this service, the person stood up and talked about um, a vehicle that had been stolen, and they didn't know who had it or whatever, and all this was going on. It, obviously, there's turmoil with all of that. And this sweet little old lady finishes her request off with basically, and may the Lord get them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, that's kind of revenge is mine, says the Lord, you know. Just don't take it into your own hands. Let the Lord work out the situation. But don't take revenge into your own hands. Let the Lord take care of that. He is just. You can trust Him. You can trust God, but I'll tell you this, when it comes to your enemies, it's very difficult to trust them. Isn't it? And you see that even with David. So when we work through conflict and there's been things that happen or, or whatever in your life, people that have wronged you, Okay, don't take revenge. Make sure you're seeking the right counsel. But how do you handle trusting again? Okay, and I think what you see here with David and his response, trust has been broken with his father-in-law, Saul. Very clear. He's after his life. Okay? In verse 22, the Bible says that David promised that oath with Saul. I'm not going to harm you when I become king or your family. Saul goes home. The Bible does not say that David then followed him home. David's like, there still needs to be some space here. I don't trust him. And you see the rest of that verse is David actually goes back to the stronghold. And so it's not like they ran off and, and skipped back to home. There was a need here to try to regain some trust. This happens again in two chapters from now in 1 Samuel 26. When David had the opportunity to kill Saul again. Saul's sleeping. We have the spear, right? Even the priest is like, kill him. And David's like, I just can't do it. So they grab the spear, the water jug, they take off. And then they reveal that he had the opportunity once again to kill him. And Saul says, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son. Come back. Because you've considered my life precious today, I will not harm you again. And does David go, okay, I'll come back. 
what David does. He says, here's the king's spear. Let one of your men come and get it. I don't trust you. And then it says, David then goes on his way, and Saul returns home. You know, David still showed the king respect, but he didn't trust the king anymore. Trust is something that's earned, and when it's been severed, and in Saul's case, it had been severed many times, it's going to take more than words to validate that trust once again. God can help with that, but it takes action. It takes action, and also, in this case with David, with the offense, it takes some time, it takes some space for that trust to be validated. So back to these perspectives. You have King Saul and his perspective. David has it coming. David's perspective. He knows that eventually he's going to be king. He, he does have that coming to him. And you see how they respond to that. I want us to think about something. I want you to think about King Jesus and his perspective in all of this. Before Christ redeemed our life, we're in opposition to him. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. But God's grace comes to us. We had it coming. But King Jesus spares us. Sets us free. What's our response to that? To think, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners and we fall short and we are people who are rebellious and in opposition and yet Christ extends his hand of grace. We had it coming, but he pulls us out and he redeems us. And just like Saul and his wrath for David, we're now out of that and we're in a position that David is. Think of what you actually have coming to you because you're in Christ. We don't deserve any of that. But God does that because he loves us. When you consider these things and this account in this story here of Saul and David, and you bring the gospel into this and you see the mercy. Our response is of just, Lord, I want to be a humble person. You think, if God's redeemed me, why would I ever want to let pride take back the throne? He's redeemed me. Help me, Lord, to respond in humility. Would you pray with me as we close this message? Lord, we thank you for your grace. Help us to be people of humility and not people of pride. Lord, I ask that you would help us as we navigate the cares and concerns of life. 
And Lord, help us to, to walk in your ways. Even though sometimes we want to do things in our own way. And we see David's example of respect even to his enemy. Lord, to truly do that, we're going to need your help. So we're asking for your help, Lord. In light of your mercy and grace upon our life, even though we were in opposition to you, you extended your hand of love, compassion. And as we receive that, help us to show and demonstrate that love and compassion toward others, even those who are against us. There might be somebody listening right now that you think about your life. Have you ever reconciled that opposition? Knowing that your sin separates you from God, but Jesus came to pay the penalty and the price for that sin so that you could be restored. And you could be made right with God. No longer in opposition, but now in harmony. If you desire that today, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive that free gift of salvation. It's free to you, but it costs Jesus his life. And he paid that price so that you could be made right. And if you desire him in your life today, please pray with me in your heart. And say, Jesus, I need you. It's no longer about me. It's about you. Today I'm asking for your forgiveness. Please cleanse me from all sin. Come into my life and redeem me. and Make me a new person. And I receive you by grace through faith. Thank you for this gift of salvation. And help me to walk in your ways from this day forward. Lord, we invite your spirit to continue to speak into our hearts and lives. Reveal to, to us areas that you want to work on. That every high thing must come down, every stronghold be broken. You are the one who brings victory into every life. And as we reflect and respond with this song, Lord, you help us to see a victory. And you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. And just as Saul was the enemy for David, you worked on behalf of David. And as Satan is our enemy, you are working on our behalf. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.